0: Great. Yeah. thank um, you so much, Dr. Sack. That's yeah. a perfect uh, yeah. segue to my session. <laughs> yes, yes, because exactly. Because <laughs> I intend to talk about this, and uh, what I'm tasked to do is to talk about comorbidities in the setting of antiretroviral therapy. And, and, and Dr.
1: Badima, uh, I think you, I think this is my someone's slide has a um, town hall. Is that yours? Oh, um,
0: sorry. That's thank okay. You. <laughs> Are we I,
1: invited? I was. I, I was. <laughs> I was hoping for something more interesting. This
0: is this is the only town hall I want to be part of right now. So and and here are my disclosures, and they're also online. And here are the objectives. At the, attending this presentation, what I would like us to come away with is a review. Of the trends in comorbidities and their impact in survival of people with HIV, identify predictors of weight gain and cardiometabolic risk of antiretroviral therapy, and list some potential mechanisms. Then finish with applying best practices in uh, prevention and management of cardiometabolic risk, including diet and exercise. So uh, let's uh, look at this outline. We will look at the trends in comorbidities. we we'll look at the magnitude and predictors of weight gain, associated with antideviral use, both in naive experience and uninfected. And then look at potential mechanisms and then finish on with prevention and management advice. Let's start with this question. This is MJ, a 30 year old Hispanic female who was diagnosed with HIV In 2017, on routine screening, she had no history of opportunistic infections. Her baseline CD4 count is 159, and viremia 857,000. She was hepatitis B immune, hepatitis C negative. She weighed 160 pounds, giving her a BMI of 27. She initiated antiretroviral therapy with Bictegravir FTC TAF, on the following two years, she reported a 20-pound weight gain. BMI is now 30. She denies any change in diet or exercise level. Now, which of the following is correct regarding the weight gain observed in this patient? Option A, weight gain on antiretroviral therapy is more likely to occur in men than in women. She is an exception. Option B, weight gain is more likely to occur with NNRTI than in with INSTE regimen. Weight gain is more likely to occur with TAF than with uh, TDF-based regimens. Exposure to FTC TAF would not have been associated with weight gain if it was taken in the context of PrEP rather than antiretroviral therapy. So this is an HIV issue or all, all of the above are correct. Please vote. All right, so by far and away, the winner is uh, weight gain more likely to occur with uh, TAF than with uh, TDF. Uh, I do agree with the wisdom of the group and I don't know if any of my co-panelists want to uh, weigh in as well. Some of the answers you
1: put up here um, Dr. D'Am are really helpful because your own data showed early on and then many other studies have shown that weight gain is actually more common in women um, than in men. Right. Um, and then that includes randomized trial data. And um, similarly, a manufacturer-sponsored trial um, found that NNRTIs were less likely to cause weight gain than integrase inhibitor-based um, regimens. I'm going to I see a number of my co-panelists
2: nodding, so maybe I'll let someone else weigh in with their thoughts as well.
3: Okay, um,
0: um, uh, otherwise- I, I, the-
1: Otherwise, yeah, the last point is that even in PrEP trials, there there have been um, some um, uh, evidence of weight gain, although the um, you'll probably get to the fact that there may be uh, a weight suppressive effect of some of the the drugs that we use for HIV and also for PrEP. But again, others are welcome to add.
0: Correct. Thank you. And the weight suppressing effect of some of the drugs, NNRTI and TDA, uh, respectively, would uh, complicate our assessment of weight gain with the other ones. So now, we there has been a dramatic decline in uh, the mortality of people with HIV since the advent of modern antiretroviral therapy and effective management of opportunistic infections. Now, the remaining survival gap, as I would call it, uh, less than ten years in most uh, estimations, is driven largely by comorbidities. Hence, the importance of this presentation. And with the aging of population, the burden of this is increasing. Now, prior to this analysis, I'm about to discuss, there was a decline in HIV-positive to HIV-negative risk ratio. For acute myocardial infarction but then uh, Kaiser Permanente and partners uh, already said showed that since 2010 there is now a widening gap in incidence of acute myocardial infarction in people with HIV in red uh, compared to those without HIV in blue while from 2005-2009 on the left the two were essentially superimposed. Now, if these are confirmed in other cohorts, it would be imperative for us to understand the underlying causes. So now it would be, of course, tempting to analyze this apparent increase in cardiovascular risk under the prism of the increasing awareness of weight gain, uh, mostly associated with the use of integrase inhibitors and TAF. Now, this is a nice recap of three African trials for antiretroviral naive, advanced anamsal, and AMSAL, and experienced sent uh, either in people without or with virologic failure, uh, that show a consistent finding of a higher risk of treatment-emergent obesity among participants who initiated INSTIS, Doletegravir in this case, especially if used in conjunction with TAF. So this is the the main take home from these studies. Now, why is that occurring? Initial thought could be that starting this modern antiretroviral therapy and controlling varimia decreases inflammation and reduces the catabolic effects of HIV infection. So the better you do that, uh, especially with insties, the more rapid that quote-unquote return to health would be and that greater, uh, again, uh, with uh, higher baseline varimia. Of course, we do not know what calorie intake uh, uh, will improve because somebody is on uh, HIV care, they probably have wraparound services that allow them to to eat better and maybe uh, get a lot of things better. So now let's look at what would happen in this particular case of somebody who is already on antiretroviral therapy and already virologically suppressed. She is MS. 35 year old white male, uh, sorry, he is 35 year old white, for the past 10 years on a fibrinous 3 TCTDF, has been very reluctant to change a resume in that he credited to saving his life. However, he's not willing to consider because he has persistent insomnia, depressive disorder. Uh, cd 4 is a not too shabby 700, virologically suppressed, hepatitis C negative, but that's B immune. Now, if you were to switch this person to darolutegravir plus FTC TAF, that would result in which of the following? No change in weight, as the patient is already virologically suppressed. Now we no longer have to worry about inflammation. B weight gain, weight loss. Sorry, since TAF is associated with fewer metabolic complications, therefore um, uh, would uh, allow this person to, to lose weight. C weight gain because of a switch from TDF to TAF. D, weight gain because of a switch from a five raise to doletegravure, or E, both C and D, please vote. Now let's look at the results. And uh, again, uh, this audience did not need me because both correctly put C plus D. And I will just see if any one of our co-panelists want to uh, chime in prior to continuing. So,
2: so I have I have a question. I yes. um, obviously agree with the wisdom of the the group here, um, but uh, what if you chose dollytagrovir 3TC instead of a TAF based regimen?
0: So that is uh, uh, an important uh, uh, question because there has actually been uh, studies looking at people who switch to the litigavir 3TC versus continuing a triple regimen that would contain uh, 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 t- uh, TDF in that case. So there is more weight gain uh, if you were to switch to the litigavir 3TC as well. So that is uh, an important uh, 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 point. Thank you so much, Milan. So
1: maybe no. I'll just add that. Um, Go ahead. It's interesting that you present a scenario of a, I'm going to call him a young, a very young, <laughs> a white uh, man, and and um, again, a lot of the data from clinical trials have not uh, often enrolled people who are um, predominantly male and predominantly um, white, and so uh, that's an, 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 some of the. Clinical trials have shown that, whereas the observational data um, and the data from Africa that that, um, that Bonino put up gives us more insights. So in some ways, this is a somewhat lower risk person for weight gain. He's young, he's a man, and and he's white. But nevertheless, I agree with the panel. I think there is good evidence that we're probably about to see uh, that uh, supports the idea that uh, TDF and efavirenz have some weight suppressive effects, and when you change those, uh, people can gain weight.
0: Right, thank you. And so this is just to uh, uh, complete this uh, uh, particular section, that weight gain would occur on the left in the Swiss cohort with a switch from TDF to TAF, on the right from uh, ACTG, uh, the alert uh, cohort following by the HALO the cohort, with a switch uh, 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 before and after switch to INSTE. So even if people were virologically suppressed. So, that return to health uh, a issue, while it may be true, is uh, a, there is more than that happening. As Another uh, uh, consideration is the OPRA cohort weight change. We've switched from TDF to TAF uh, while maintaining. Or the antiretroviral uh, by class and anchor. So, regardless of those anchor uh, drug, a switch from TDF to TAF was associated with increased weight. And again, like uh, Raj said, that could have been because of the prior weight suppression from uh, TDF. Now, let's examine weight gain in the context of the pathogenesis of these chronic complications of HIV. We we started with uh, highlighting that. Uh, cardiovascular disease risk ratio between HIV and non HIV appears to be increasing. Now, I always think that when you look at these comorbidities, think of three potential groups of factors. The patient comes to HIV with some baggage, which is uh, genetic, behavioral, or otherwise, especially things like smoking, very prevalent. And then the virus, uh, uh, inflammation, and it causes not uh, immune activation, I may not be completely abated, even uh, in the context of uh, uh, chronic virologic uh, uh, suppression, and then it, sometimes the co-infections, and the layered on that is the antiretroviral therapy. So this is uh, what we like to now call about the obesogen- uh, obesogenic uh, uh, epidemic, which really overlaps with uh, HIV epidemic, uh, mostly affecting Blacks and Hispanics and mostly in the South in the US and is growing. And we know that uh, even if you have virologic suppression on antiretroviral therapy, inflammation and immune activation persists over and above people who do have uh, infection and that uh, these HIV parameters are predictors of acute myocardial infections in this uh, VA study, uh, uh, for instance. So we know that the virus induces adipocyte dysfunction. This is uh, uh, what is newly uh, uh, appreciated in these uh, studies by Gorwood et al. But this is likely worsened by exposure to increase uh, to integrate inhibitors. And now there they, they has newer studies presented at the uh, comorbidity uh, uh, conference about hypoxia-inducible uh, uh, factor as a potential mechanism by this uh, of this adipocyte toxicity. So we may be having viral effects and treatment effects compounding uh, each other. Now, even in the context of uh, and they, this uh, study suggested to us that if you deferred antiretroviral therapy, you gained uh, 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 more weight than if you started immediately. And again, this is important to analyze because most people here were on NNRTI and on TDF, and very few on INSTI. So that again uh, shows you that these two drugs, NNRTIs and TDF, may be suppressing a weight that would otherwise have occurred. Now, this is another alarming uh, fact that, you know, we have this study in the response cohort showing that INSTI initiation was associated with an increased risk uh, uh, of a 2.5-fold greater incidence of cardiovascular disease within six months of exposure compared to no exposure at all. And I if this sounds familiar, it should, because this <laughs> mirrors what we have seen 12 or 13 years ago with a back of your initiation. Now, again, is this weight gain? I don't think that weight gain would have occurred in six months enough to cause increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So we probably need to look for the possibility that the cardiometabolic risk, if true, from this integrase, gibuito, and or TAF, May not necessarily be going through weight gain, and uh, this is another uh, analysis looking at diabetes at uh, inst initiation uh, published this year by O'Halloran et al. Uh, this uh, showed that you know view uh, less so, but evatography and view associated with uh, uh, incident diabetes. Bicteravir was as well, but was not statistically significant because there were very, very few people uh, on uh, Bicteravir similar with TAF. So, and again, trying to make sure we don't conflate weight gain with uh, cardiometabolic risk is this analysis from the EuroCETA showing that increase in weight was associated with uh, increased in diabetes, but not of all cause mortality, which was. Uh, predicted by a uh, uh, decrease in weight in this uh, analysis. So now that we have identified the problem, can we do anything about it? Um, uh, so switching is something that we have reached out to a lot, uh, but reversal of the weight, uh, again, we've switched to non-INST and non-TAB, it may be still uncertain. There's good data coming from South Africa, by Francois Venter in uh, advance, because a lot of these people who gain weight over there have been switched to other regimens, and they will show us if that has resulted in a commensurate uh, weight loss. And again, ACTG has a study in progress that will also uh, uh, give us indications. Now, weight loss medications, there's now a lot of interest in GLP-1-anagonal semaglutinide. uh, For instance, these are being explored in HIV. But let's not forget uh, lifestyle modification, uh, diet and exercise Uh, reported work ancillary benefits in people with HIV include a prevention medication of other non-AIDS complications. So and our guidelines, what we're saying is the counseling regarding possibility of weight gain and potential cardiometabolic complications is recommended for people with HIV initiating or switching ART. But a special attention to uh, diabetes because uh, there's also no evidence that ART switch would be mitigating metformin is still first line. It's important to uh, uh, stick with exercise and these are the calorie uh, calorie guideline options for weight loss. And what we're saying is that the yearly diabetes screening and assessment of cardiometabolic risk of uh, patients receiving INSTI-based ART, especially given the data I just presented, is recommended uh, uh, in here. So I will close here with a summary of our recommendations for cardiometabolic uh, uh, complications and weight gain in in HIV, and we'll have time for discussion. We need to document weight. Let's make it another vital sign. Uh, And the BMR at baseline and every six months, uh, uh, <clears throat> for people initiating anthropotherapy therapy or switching to a new one so we can identify any change sooner. The rationale being that soon, we may come up with biomarkers that will allow us to know whether that a trajectory that the patient is likely to take. Yeah, and so we de- we're not there yet counseling regarding possibility of weight gain and potential cardiometabolic complications recommended. We may lose people if we don't tell them beforehand that this is uh, uh, likely to happen. And then, like I said, uh, the last two I've already presented, the yearly diabetic screening and lifestyle uh, changing effects are recommended uh, uh, will gain uh, more than 5% of body weight. So uh, I will stop here and um, uh, remain open for questions and all uh, the um, uh, interventions for, uh, for panelists. Yeah,
1: thank you. Um, let's uh, invite the attendees to send in their questions. I'll, one of the questions that I see uh, now um, is one that you started touching on, but maybe you can expand on, which is um, the consequences of weight gain. And, and you, I think you talked a bit about diabetes, but does it extend to metabolic syndrome and, and fatty liver disease? And, and a question I wanna put to you in that context is, we spent a lot of time in the 90s and early 2000s early 2000s talking about lipodystrophy and and kind of weight um, fat maldistribution uh, do we yet know whether the weight gain in in people on some of these combinations is it um visceral fat is it subcutaneous fat uh, it's been a little yeah. while since we've talked talked about fat to sat ratios uh, but what, what can you tell us about weight gain and visceral and um subcutaneous fat, but start with the uh, metabolic syndrome and, and the, um, the, um, yeah.
0: So I, I think that's uh, the, the advanced trial. I keep returning to that because it's aptly named because it actually did advance our knowledge uh, about uh, weight gain uh, on antiretroviral therapy, among other things. What it showed is that the, uh, not only the, the weight gain was both trunk and, and peripheral and that, uh, Two things that I would like uh, to emphasize on the weight gain after therapy, we need to look at not just the average weight gain in a particular study or cohort, but the proportion of people who gain a substantial amount, so the outliers, and uh, more than 10%, for instance, uh, which is what that analysis uh, of advanced uh, NAMSAL and BCENT presented uh, uh, earlier uh, last month in Glasgow. And, uh, and then in advance, the proportion of people with treatment emergent metabolic syndrome uh, was greater in those uh, with doletegravir uh, with, uh, with uh, TAF or with uh, TDF. So, so that is uh, for possible uh, metabolic risk. Now you mentioned uh, fatty liver disease. In that one, there was another analysis by uh, Biscoff al. I believe in Europe that showed that exposure to TAF and INSTI was associated with uh, uh, treatment emerging, uh, what is now called metabolic associated fatty liver disease, uh, used to be called NAFLD. And uh, uh, while TDF was associated with a lower risk of metabolic associated fatty liver disease, the important thing about that uh, analysis was that TDF was associated with a lower risk of uh, NAFLD, regardless of weight trajectory, again, Causing me to try to dissociate the weight gain with these metabolic complications, maybe they're linked, maybe not necessarily so. Um, um, and 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 um, and that, so I don't know if anyone else uh, wants to chime in.
3: No, I think you nailed it, um, Roger. The, the Dr. Haley here has written in with a question that I was going to ask, and that is the role of the the GL. Um, GLP-1 agonist and it's it's now becoming used almost as frequently as statins at least the demand is up that high um, either you or other panelists how are how are you integrating this into your uh, practice at this point
0: yeah i'm um... I work for the VA and I have uh, took up permission from on high to do anything unorthodox. <laughs> so I have not used it yet. I'm very uh, uh, intrigued by the data on non-diabetic uh, general population showing not only, uh, a substantial weight loss, but sustained. We know that that exercise, one of the problems we've had is sustaining uh, the weight loss. And, and and it's been shown in a number of th- I believe it's Jordan Lake or others that are looking at this uh, in the context of HIV and that the data is forthcoming.
1: You know, you're definitely hitting a nerve. We're getting a lot of questions. So maybe we'll do some rapid fire ones and and invite any other panel members who would like to, to also contribute although uh, Dr Padino really is the person I ask all my weight questions to. um what about switching to a uh, Draing containing regimen um uh can you uh, comment on on that what our guidelines say and what you've been uh, recommending
0: yeah and so a lot of um uh, um uh people have been asking about switching to a non-INST, non-TAF, because those, uh, that, that class and that drug were most associated with uh, weight gain. And the popular uh, uh, question has been not just deriving, but deriving with uh, TDF and TTC. Now, I, I have to uh, uh, put a caveat that we do not have the data on, uh, uh, on the efficacy of that strategy is being actively looked at in the ACTG, and uh, I I hope that uh, uh, it it yields the answers that we want. My concern is that when we look at switching, we have to factor in how long somebody has been on the regimen that uh, appears to have been problematic in terms of weight, because as we've seen in many studies, the weight gain has been (laughs) front-loaded, in the first year or so. And I'm not sure if you had plateaued, uh, whether you should expect uh, much drop. The other problem um, that I have with uh, the current analysis, the way it has changed in the CTG, was that uh, they're not including everybody's who weighs above a certain amount, not just those who gained during the regimen that went to sw- switch from. So I think it, it may conflate things. Thanks. <laughs>
1: I'm going to actually ask Dr. Paul Sachs if he would weigh in on on this very issue. Um, uh, welcome, Paul. Uh, weigh
4: in.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, just, I was going to comment on that too, but I let it go. Uh, I was I was hoping someone would notice. <laughs> so
4: so uh, thanks thanks Raj. Um, the the advanced study has a follow up that just was published in Clinical Infectious Diseases, showing that people who switched from uh, Taf FTC, effervons. Um, TDF-FTC-favirins or TAF-FTC-dolotegravir to TDF-FTC-dolotegravir went in the predictable directions, meaning those switching it from TAF to TDF actually ended up losing weight. This is a prospective study now. And those switching from TDF-FTC-favirins to a dolotegravir-based regimen, even with TDF, gained weight. So I think this is uh, proof that TDF is doing something to suppress weight, and it does so in particular when combined with Favarin's. Um, And I suspect strongly that the ACDG study is going to show exactly that, that unless you are switching to TDF, you are not going to get this weight loss. Great.
1: Because we have a number of other questions, maybe I'll um, see if there's any comments on what we just heard, and then I'll switch us to cardiovascular disease from weight. Um, any other comments on, on that last point?
4: Okay. One thing I just think needs yeah. to be mentioned, and, and I'm sorry I had to join late, and it's possible that Roger mentioned this already, but it is possible that this weight suppressive effect of TDF with Faverins is a toxicity and not a benefit, um, either because of inhibition of uh, some sort of muscle development or um, some way of mitochondrial toxicity. And, and I don't, I don't think we know that yet. Uh, I do know that in the pregnancy study, it was associated with worse outcomes in women starting uh, TDF FTC effervons in pregnancy. Yeah, and actually, in that regard, we mentioned
1: earlier when we were talking about regimens during pregnancy, the um, infant outcomes were better in the in the non effervons group. One of the infant outcomes uh, that was improved was less stunting. That is, the, the women who conceived, the women who received um, effervons. And uh, with TDF during um pregnancy, their infants have less of a growth, less growth, more stunts. Less growth,
4: yeah. No, smaller infant size and more premature labor in the affaverins TDF FTCR associated with lower weight gain. Yeah.
1: There are more weight questions, but the really hot button question that Dr. Wooten asked that I want to put maybe to you, Roger, but others should weigh in. The respond data that you showed us with that tr- transient or the um, increase in. Cardiovascular events in the first six months after starting an integrase inhibitor is that leading you to um, not use insti based regimens in your patients who have a lot of cardiovascular risk factors, say they're a smoker and hypertensive? Would you use that data and and apply it to not choosing an integrase inhibitor?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a provocative data, and and again, I, I, like I said, it's it a bit reminiscent of our uh, <laughs> experience with uh, back of year in and uh, and. Uh, Two thousand and eight, or something like that. I, I, I think it's a little early to. I mean, I, and I, I, don't think that, that that made me makes me depart from what we is recommended for most people. Uh, mm. I think it's important to 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 say that. And again, the the, the trajectory of uh, uh, increased risk in 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 in. In respond within six months and was no longer apparent by 24 months, if my memory serves me right, uh, suggests that it, it it's not necessarily uh, acting on the, the 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 proximal, you know, uh, 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 risk for cardiovascular disease, and it probably is impacting people who already had a plaque and um, maybe made it to. Unstable and 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 Richard, because of uh, inflammation or something else. So it's, it's very proximate. It's not not it's not something that led to uh, uh, the, that. Again, when it goes down at twenty four months, it makes me scratch my head even more. I think it's important that we 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 find we, we look at more data than than. Yeah.
3: And and Janice Huber has a question coming back to a in general. I think it kind of fits here. And that is, that you noticed in our guidelines this time, we don't really have a as, a as a treatment start choice anymore. And I think the reason for, and the question is, do you just, if you have people on it, do you put them on something else? And that is a judgment. But one of the, we, we struggled for a while asking, are these data accurate or real? And I think there's enough studies now that show there are increased myocardial infarctions on a Bocavir versus not when somebody's not on a bacavir, and that's probably due to some platelet aggregation, uh, at least hypothetically, and and so I think it's, it's probably wise as people get older, especially let's say over the age of 50, if they're on an abacavir regimen, you can just simplify by putting them on dolutegravir 3TC, and that usually does just fine and mitigates that risk, and I think that's an option uh, for folks overall. Um, but clearly, we're not starting a Bacavir anymore.
0: Not to belabor the point, but another thing that we did uh, pose to NASCAR and the uh, respond group is that we don't see a factoring in of switching away from TDF in their analysis. Because if you're starting an institute, you're usually starting uh, TAF. Or uh, stopping uh, a TDF if that inst is, t- is or abicographic. Now and, and as well. So I, I'm I'm curious to see what the response is going to be because uh, it's very possible that we do have um, um, a conflation of of, of of a switching of the uh, NRCI with what the they, they reported
1: maybe i can say something here i'm actually caught so on, on the response uh, yes. paper and uh, of course we discussed that a lot And you know at first we didn't believe this signal but uh, we just didn't get it away you know with all the sensitivity analysis but what one has to consider is respond is really a a relatively old cohort you know and that they, they have a lot of treatment history before and it's it's a lot of switching and i think for me it's clear we need to have other cohorts you know doing similar type of analyses and also to, to really look in drug naives you know who start newly to have as much uh, exclusion of confounding factors as possible. but uh, so our conclusion right now was not to not give instances in the moment because
0: it needs confirmation. This is a very
1: important
3: point, point. yeah. Yeah, this is also why this panel is so great, because of the international um, contribution. So thank you, uh, Aldrich, that's wonderful. Um, You know,
2: if I could just mention that we are in this time when there are a lot of data, we don't know what to make of them, we don't know what to do um, about changing or not changing necessarily. But I think it just has to emphasize to us that in the very beginning, when we meet our patients and we're talking with them about antiretrovirals, or if it's a patient who's already on antiretrovirals, in addition to spending the time talking about HIV therapy, we really have to start talking more about the increased risk of cardiovascular disease with HIV. And to from the from the very beginning. To start really assessing that person for their risk of of cardiovascular disease, so looking at their lipids, looking at their blood pressure, looking at their family history. Do they need uh, a coronary calcium CT to find out if they already have significant plaque? You know, I, I just think in a, in addition to the the management of HIV meds, our job is now to manage the broader patient and. You know, I I tell patients the good news here is we're going to be able to suppress your HIV. You're going to be able to live a long time and do well, but we can't get rid right now of the risk of having HIV at all. And so let's and how that increases their risk for cardiovascular disease. So you know, let's let's not have you die of a heart attack at age 45 with a suppressed viral load.
1: That's a really important point, and we're right at time, but I'm gonna take one minute and ask you, Dr. Thompson, as one of the key authors of the primary care guidelines for HIV, one of the um, attendees would really love to know, how do you counsel your patients about weight gain in particular? And I think you uh, really put that in the context of heart health and and healthy living, but is there something that you've found to be helpful when you're starting a a person on HIV meds around the weight gain if they're concerned? And then we'll, we'll wrap up with this answer.
2: Well, you know, I guess I, I like to, to present starting antiretrovirals as a really positive change for their life in general. And it's like, hey, let's get healthy. Let's look at everything we can do to improve your health. And, you know, we know that um, we all tend to gain weight over time. I don't like to blame it on the antiretrovirals because I don't want to scare people off, but to acknowledge that weight gain happens. And and so, you know, talk to them some about their diet and about being more physically active. And I tend to just talk about incremental change and not you have to lose 20 pounds. Uh, let's just make incremental changes slowly. But I really talk with almost all of my patients about that.
3: And I think we quickly can address uh, Beth Gedkowski's question about what cardiovascular risk uh, calculator we can use. Yeah. Most of them are working pretty well, but I think you should err on the higher side. So in other words, if you get a low number, just add a couple points to it. And finally, some nice work out of uh, the, uh, uh, the group uh, from, uh, uh, gosh, um, the group that I actually run. But the, the, uh, <laughs> there was a cohort study that showed that myocardial infarctions are actually one-to-one from type one and type two. So don't forget type two. And we'll get to that with uh, Dr. Springer and Dr. Eaton when we talk about uh, methamphetamine and stimulant use, that there are heart attacks in young people that have nothing to do with, with traditional cardiovascular risk factors.
2: Mike, if I can just quickly chime in, you know, I totally uh, agree with you about modifying the risk scores. And there is a terrific paper that was put out by the um, cardiologists, actually, about HIV risk. And it uh, gives your HIV risk enhancing factors, which are a low nadir CD4 count, any time off of antiretrovirals with prolonged viremia and so on. But, you know, it's a really great paper that gives you step-by-step instructions about lipid management um, and also a lot of pathophysiology. So I'll just drop that there.
1: That's terrific. Maybe we'll figure out a way to get that into, a, into a, a version of the chat so that people can see it. But thank you for that. I think there are a few more questions that we'll invite our panelists to answer online. Uh, that is uh, by by chat or by text. And I think we're going to go from one um, set of complications to to another, which is the issue of